It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, listening friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? Often called water bears or moss piglets, Tardigrades are near-microscopic aquatic animals with plump, segmented bodies and flattened heads. They've got tiny eyes and eight legs, each tip with four to eight claws. The water bears are disarmingly cute. They're also nearly indestructible. They're found virtually everywhere on the planet, from the Antarctic to the Amazon to burning deserts. Water bears are able to withstand temperatures ranging from minus 270 degrees Celsius to plus 150 degrees Celsius. That'd be 302 degrees Fahrenheit. They can survive without water for a period of up to 10 years, and they're extremely resistant to radiation. They can even survive in outer space. Water bears are able to shut down their metabolism by entering into an almost death-like state called cryptobiosis. On April 11, 2019, an Israeli spacecraft crashed into the moon during a failed landing attempt. Its payload included a few thousand of these water bears. Scientists expect the creatures will still be found viable when astronauts return to the moon in the next decade. You know, you, you begin to wonder, Pastor Ross, whatever they're made of, maybe they could synthesize that and give us some of it. <laughs> That's right, Pastor Doug. It's an amazing creature. It almost seems like a seed of some kind, you know, a plant will have a seed and then it lies dormant for years and suddenly under the right conditions it springs forth into life. These little animals almost go into a seed-like state where they don't need oxygen, they don't need water. I guess their different uh, metabolisms slow down or shut down and then suddenly at the right time it springs back to life. Yeah, they don't know how to classify them because they're, uh, they're just very unique. Their eyes are so small that each eye is one photoreceptor. Wow. And um, they, but they've got, you know, the mouth of mini, mini brain, and they, they seem to, uh, they don't have lungs. They kind of breathe through their skin. Just a very incredible uh, creature. As a matter of fact, scientists are saying, yep, this proves that they can survive in space. Maybe life was introduced to our planet by creatures like this from another planet. <laughs> and so they're using that argument. But when I think about the um, water bears, I think about, how indestructible they are going through the fire and the ice. And uh, it says in Isaiah 43, verse 2, speaking of the promises that God makes to his people, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers and they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. Reminds us of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that went through the fiery furnace and it just did not hurt them mm -hmm. or the children of Israel going through the Red Sea. And, you know, if we're walking with God, we are indestructible. And I don't mean that anyone should go out there and try and tempt the Lord by jumping off a building or, or uh, walking into a fire, but um, 
It's like George Whitfield used to say, I'm immortal until my work is done. You see so many examples of how God can supernaturally protect his people. And uh, with that in mind, we don't need to be living anxious, worried lives because God can provide and he can protect. And for anyone out there that is prone to worry, we have a special offer for you. We do. It's one that we don't offer too often. So take advantage of this. It's a book written by Pastor Doug. It's called Finding Peace in a World of Worry. Of course, everybody wants to have peace in their life. Uh, what does the Bible say about it? Finding peace in a world of worry. That is a free offer. If you'd like to receive that, just call 800-835-6747. And you can ask for that free offer by name, Finding Peace in a World of Worry. You can also dial pound 250 on your smartphone, say Bible Answers Live, and then ask for the book, Finding Peace in a World of Worry. We'll be happy to send it to anyone who is in the U.S. or in Canada. Uh, if you're outside of North America, just go to our website, just amazingfacts.org, and you'll be able to learn more information about that. Amen. Well, Pastor Doug, before we go to the phone lines, we always like to start this program with prayer. We're talking about the Bible, so we need the Holy Spirit. So let's do that now. Dear Father, once again, we are grateful for the opportunity to be able to open up your word and study. Mm -hmm. Father, we ask the Holy Spirit to come and guide us here in the studio and be with the many people who are listening, wherever they might be, in their car, at home, traveling, whatever it might be, Lord. Just pray that you guide us all into a clearer understanding of the Bible. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our first caller this evening is Jerry, and Jerry is listening in Texas. Jerry, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. I share your devotional books all the time. I wish they were in Spanish, Pastor Doug. But anyway, my question tonight is, uh, what happened to the temple veil in heaven when it was torn asunder on earth? Or was there ever a curtain? Well, there was, yes. Well, the, you know, it, it seems to say, uh, now where is it where it says that there we now boldly enter, is it Ephesians, that behind the veil, both Hebrews and Ephesians, seems to indicate that through Christ there is no veil. That, uh, you know, we through faith boldly go into the Holy of Holies, and uh, through Christ, who is our intercessor, we plead into the presence of God. I don't think a veil was torn in heaven because the reason the veil was on earth is sinful man cannot behold the holy. But in heaven, uh, you know, the holy angels can behold God. Mm -hmm. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 talks about this hope that we have, an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Yeah. So, about the heavenly sanctuary. Yeah, but that's saying that we then go into the holy of holies. Faith, through absolutely. faith, yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, we oh, do have a study way, guide on the yep. sanctuary. That's right. It's called God Drew the Plans. And we'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. Ask for the study guide called God Drew the Plans. You can also dial pound 250 on your smartphone. Say Bible Answers Live and then ask for that study guide. Gary's listening in Illinois. Gary, welcome to the program. Thank you. In Revelation 7, verses 2 and 3, mm -hmm. it says that four angels are told not to harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. But in California, Canadian wildfires, two-mile-wide diameter tornadoes, you know, they're all over. You know, these are harming the earth. And so I guess the four angels from under the Euphrates River have nothing to do with this. And, but once they're released, things are going to get even worse. And right now is the time if you're going to be sealed to do it. And being sealed is what? Is being born again Christian? 
John 3, 3, except a man be born again? Okay. Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, what we see, the tragedies and the trials and the um, natural disasters, are they evidence that the four angels have loosed their grip? I don't think so. Uh, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 24, he says, you're going to have wars and rumors of wars, and there will be earthquakes and famines and pestilence in different places. He said, these are the beginning of sorrows. So he said that, you know, from the time of Christ to the present, there are going to be waves of disasters that will come in the world. And some, you know, are used to turn people to the Lord. Keep in mind, the devil does have some power over even the environment. When God gave the devil leave, Satan went from the presence of the Lord and struck the house of Job's children with a tornado. And uh, fire came down from heaven from the devil and burned up his flocks. So um, some of the things we see is because it says in Revelation 12, Satan has come down with great wrath because he knows his time is short. But when those angels loose their grip, now, Pastor Ross, is that just before or just after the close of probation? It's uh, the close of probation. He's connected with the angels letting go. Yeah. After the sealing occurs, then of course you have Daniel 12. It says at that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of his people. And there shall be a time of trouble worse than the world has ever seen. Well, that's the four angels. And that that's after the, when Michael stands up, probation closed. closed. Yeah. So we're not there yet now, but your bigger question is about the seal of God. Yeah. Everybody first hear this. The most important thing about the seal of God, first and foremost, it's the Holy Spirit, but I think everyone sort of intuitively knows whoever has the mark of the beast has the spirit of the devil. Whoever has the seal of God certainly has the Holy Spirit. It'd be hard to imagine a person sealed by God not having the spirit. But there's something more. You read in Isaiah chapter 8, and I think it's verse 16, where it says, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. So in the law of God, there is a special seal that contains all the elements of these ancient seals. A seal would have the, the title, which means the office, the name, the territory of a, a ruling monarch. And in the Ten Commandments, you have the word holy in one commandment. You folks go look up which commandment that is. It's in Exodus chapter 20, start with verse 8. And in that commandment, you also find the title, it says the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea. It's got his name, his title, his territory in that commandment. You know, in Revelation, there's two groups. You've got those who have the seal of God, and you have those of the mark of the beast. Now, right. of course, at that point in time, when probation closes, there will only be two distinct groups. There's a lot in the valley of decision, you might say now, mm -hmm. folks who are understanding the truth and making decisions. But when that time comes, and you have just those two groups, everyone's going to be marked with something. Either you have the seal of God, or you have the mark of the beast. And uh, more than just being, like you say, Pastor Dag, the Holy Spirit, for those who have the seal of God, the spirit of Christ or the spirit of Satan, it's going to be manifest in the actions, right. who they obey, yep. whose commandments are they following. So we do have a study guide. It's called the Mark of the Beast. And it talks about the Mark of the Beast. It also talks about the seal of God and how we can make sure we have the seal and not the mark. We'll send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the study guide. It's called the Mark of the Beast. Or dial pound 250 on your phone, mm -hmm. say Bible Answers Live, ask for that offer, and we'll be happy to send it to you. Uh, let's see, we've got Anna listening in Oregon. Anna, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Hi, good evening. Evening. My question is from Titus chapter 3, verse 10. 
reject a divisive man after the first and second abomination, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. I was wondering if you could explain that to me. Also, do we wash our hands of these people and have nothing more to do with them in our lives? Well, um, if they don't repent, yes. You know, if anyone goes through a conversion, I think the apostles would say, if, if a brother's been restored, if they've been reconverted, if they've gotten over their tendency to be unnecessarily divisive. Now, we need to know how to apply this first. I remember one brother that when I disagreed with him theologically, he said uh, to his family, don't study with him anymore because he's divisive. <laughs> and I said, I'm just sharing the truth. And they pulled the scripture out and said, you can't study with us anymore because you're causing division. You don't believe like us. And I said, well, there's only one truth, you know? So I felt like they had misapplied this verse. Uh, this is talking about someone who comes within a certain body and, you know, it's a united body of faith and they're just bringing in division between individuals. Um, and, um, you know, the, I think I read it this week in my message. It says in Proverbs, there's six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. And the seventh thing he mentions is he that sows discord among brethren, someone who's divisive. God's called us to be peacemakers, to bring people together. But if you're dividing people, it's the opposite effect. At some point, if they don't change their behavior, you just got to practice tough love and say, you know, we're not going to work with you anymore. You just have to sometimes people are, uh, you're casting your pearls before swine and you just have to know when you say, um, there's a waste of time, we're not going to argue with you. Yeah, there's a difference between somebody who's sincerely wanting to know truth and maybe they might see things a little different, but they're willing to learn and study. But after a person understands what you're trying to say and yet they're just dogmatically wanting to argue and bring division, well, that's not profitable for anyone. Yeah, It's causing division and that's what the Bible is saying we need to be careful of. We, You know, we're pastors and once or twice we've had some people that have showed up at church and there's one note that they play on the piano. Right. And with everybody, they get this one note they play. And we've had to say, look, brother, sister, you know, if you if you can't mesh a little better, then probably you shouldn't come back. Mm -hmm. And uh, you hate to ever say that to somebody, but some folks just come in to cause division. All right. Next caller that we have is uh, Michael listening in Colorado. Michael, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Yes, Doug and Jean, thank you so much for taking my call. It's great to talk to you. I'm a first-time caller. I am 27 years old, and I so much have enjoyed your show for a long time, and you set a very high standard. So first of all, thank you for all you do. Well, thank you for calling. Absolutely. And my Bible question is from two kings. Um, Elijah sent out a servant to meet him with this message. Go to the River Jordan and immerse yourself seven times. Your skin will be healed and you'll be as good as new. Naaman lost his temper. He spun around saying, I thought you'd personally come out and meet me. Call on the name of God. Wave his hand over the disease spot and get rid of the disease. And, you know, the Jordan River is said to have healing properties even to this day. Why do you think God specifically picked Naaman to be healed of his leprosy? Well, I, I think some of it is to show that God loves people who are not Jews. You know, the first sermon that Jesus preached in his home church, he mentions Naaman. Uh, he said to the people in his church in Nazareth, he went on Sabbath to the synagogue and he said, there were many lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha, but none of them was healed except Naaman the Syrian and part of it is because he came and he asked. 
he believed the message of this little girl. You remember he had a servant girl that said, uh, if my master was with the prophet that's in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. And um, he took that by faith and he went. But the way the healing message came, he was a little insulted because God had to soften his pride. And ultimately he did obey and he went to the Jordan and he got the miracle that mm -hmm. he wanted. So uh, it's interesting that God spoke through um, this little girl and then he spoke through the messenger of Elisha and then he spoke through the soldiers of of Naaman, and it took several messages to finally get through to this general. Seems that he was a good man. So he was a great man, mighty man, valiant man, uh, but he was a leper. It's a reminder that no matter what you have in the world, if you've got sin, if you're dying, what profit is it? And as God healed Naaman from washing in the Jordan, John the Baptist baptized in the, in the Jordan. It's a symbol of the new birth and a washing from sin, because of course that's where Christ was baptized and the children of Israel went through the Jordan. It's a symbol of a new life. And leprosy in the Bible often is associated or symbolized as sin. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you have a sinner outside of Israel, a non-Jew, and yet redemption can still be found or That's cleansing right. can still be found. So a very interesting story there. Good question. Next caller that we have is Tony listening in Kentucky. Tony, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, so my question for tonight is, um, is Revelation 4.1 teaching that the seals happen chronologically after the seven churches? And is Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, teaching that the seven trumpets happen chronologically immediately after the seven seals? All right, I'll give a little part of this answer, and then Pastor Ross can probably uh, tie it off better. Um, Revelation is not written chronologically like the prophecy you find in Daniel. It's very similar in that God gives Daniel several visions that outline his kingdom and his people, and they overlap. And in Revelation, you've got the seven churches, you've got the seven trumpets, you've got the seven seals. The seven churches sort of cover a religious history of God's people from the first coming to the second coming. The seven seals cover something of a geopolitical history from the first coming to the second coming. The seven trumpets are covering something of a military history. And so the, these prophecies are covering some of the same time and they overlap. So I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, absolutely. I think you summarize it well, Pastor Doug. You've got the seven churches, which really start with the first century church, which Scholars say somewhere around about, you know, Christ ascended 31 AD and um, probation closes 34 for the Jewish people. So somewhere around there, up until about a 100 AD, around the death of the last... Now, when you said probation closes for sorry, the Jewish people, you mean the nation? For the nation. Yes, yeah, not, not individuals. Yeah, okay. That's right. But uh, around 100 AD, uh, somewhere around the death of John, the last of the 12 apostles, they mm -hmm. say that first, the Church of Ephesus time period comes to an end. Then it goes all the way through to the church of Laodicea, which really describes the condition of the church mm -hmm. today, just before the second coming of Christ. And then you have the repeat in yeah. the seals and in the trumpets, but emphasizing different aspects. Yep. Very good. Now, you, we have a magazine that talks about Daniel and Revelation that um, uh, Michael might really enjoy. And I think we can still share that. Absolutely. To receive that, just call 800-835-6747. And uh, the magazine is on the book of Daniel and Revelation. We'll be happy to send that to you if you call and ask. You can also dial pound 250 on your smartphone and ask for that. And we'll send it to whoever calls and asks. 
Let's see. We've got, uh, we're going to go to Junith in Nevada. Junith, welcome to the program. Pastor uh, John and Pastor Dog. A blessed evening. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, ma. Yes, sir. I have a question on uh, Revelation 19. Oh, hold on a second. Uh, Revelation 19:16. The focus is: is there a Judaic uh, connotation on um, what Jesus is trying to imply to writing his name, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, on his thigh? It's understandable on the robe. You know, like when you go to a beauty pageant, they put their title there, like a sash. But uh, just caught my attention about the uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his thigh. My question, is there a Judaic uh, traditional connotation on this matter? Can you explain further? Thank you. Uh, well, I'll do my best. Um, it, it was believed by the Jewish people that the largest and strongest muscle in the body was the thigh, and covenants were sometimes made you can read where Abraham, when choosing a wife for his son, he told his servant, place your hand under my thigh. In other words, you're, we're going to make a covenant with my strongest muscle. You're going you're gonna to vow to me that you'll find a, a believing wife for my son. And um, so, and of course, King of Kings, you have examples in the Bible where Nebuchadnezzar had several kingdoms under him. He was a king with kings under him talks about certain kings ate at his table, and the same thing with the king of Persia. And um, so ultimately, the supreme title would be the king of kings. There is no king above Jesus, and there is no Lord above him. He is the Lord of lords. So it's basically saying he is the ultimate strength, being on the thigh, the ultimate king, the ultimate Lord. And the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that he made. Yep. Jesus said, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. So he's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you. Next caller that we have is uh, Mirinda listening in New Mexico. Uh, Mirinda, welcome to the program. Hi. Good evening, pastors. Evening. Um, my Good evening. My Bible question is, what does the Bible say about Satan being able to physically harm a person? Well, you know, there's not too much evidence in the Bible that the devil would, you know, jump out with uh, a pitchfork, claws and horns and, and you know, bite a person as a physical entity. Uh, sometimes the way that the devil uh, will physically hurt a person is by tempting them to do something foolish where they hurt themselves. Um, you know, he did seem to strike Job with sickness and the devil, you know, he has some limited power there. But keep in mind, God has angels that guard his, his people. Uh, you read, the angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him. That's why the devil said to God, you've got a hedge about Job. You're protecting him. And uh, in Psalm 91, it says, he'll give his angels charge over you. So I don't worry day by day because uh, one third of the angels followed Lucifer, but there are two thirds that stay loyal you got twice as many angels on God's side as the devil's side, and they protect. Nothing can come to his children. The devil never is able to access God's people because his demons were able to out-wrestle God's angels. God's angels are much greater in power. Um, anything that does come is because the Lord is allowing some trial 
to work in our lives for good. And even Paul said one time, a messenger came from the devil that's caused me a pain, a thorn in my side, but God's allowing this that I might glorify him. So I don't know if that helps uh, what, what you're asking, uh, Miranda. Thank you both so much. All right, thank you. Now, we, we do have a book that talks about did God create a devil and explains what some of the limitations of the devil are in that study guide. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, you can just ask for the study guide. It's called, Did God Create the Devil? We'll be happy to send that to anyone in North America. Dial pound 250 on your smartphone. And you can also ask Bible Answers Live and then ask for that study guide by name, Did God Create a Devil? We've got McKinsey listening from Washington. McKinsey, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Hello. Hi. Um, good evening, pastors. Evening. Thanks for calling. I've been li listening for a long time, and it's been pretty cool to listen to you guys. Um, I'm LDS, but I've wondered what the Bible says about infant baptism. All right. Yeah, appreciate your calling. Um, there's no example of infant baptisms in the Bible. What they did in the Bible, and Jesus is an example of this, they would dedicate children boys in particular, eight days old, Christ was brought to the temple. They would dedicate them to the Lord and um, the boys would be circumcised. Um, and, uh, but Jesus then went and was baptized as an adult because the Bible prerequisites for baptism, it says repent and be baptized. Well, babies can't repent. And then the, when uh, the Ethiopian asked Philip, what must I do? He says, if you believe with all your heart, well, a, a baby can't believe with all its heart and be baptized. And Jesus says, go and teach all nations, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded and baptize them. Well, you can't teach a baby the, the fundamentals of Christianity. And so there's no example of a baby being baptized in a Bible, in the Bible. Now, I know many people listening right now, Pastor Ross, uh, they may be, you know, very good Catholic or Orthodox people that baptize their children as infants. And they're saying, what does that mean? Does that mean I didn't give them to the Lord? No, you dedicated them. That's great. That's not baptism. Baptism is something they must do when they reach the age of accountability, which varies with children. It could be anywhere from, you know, Christ was 12 when he went to the temple and some kids begin to understand and believe at 10 years old and some, it takes a little longer. So uh, it varies. And we have a lesson that talks about baptism. We do. We actually, I was thinking about a book pastor that called baptism. Is it really necessary? Yeah. It's got all the scriptures in there, explains what baptism symbolizes. Uh, to receive that, just call 800-835-6747. You can ask for the book called Baptism, Is It Really Necessary? Or dial pound 250, say Bible Answers Live, Baptism, Is It Really Necessary? And we'll get that to you. Again, if you're outside of North America, just go to the website, amazingfacts.org, click on the free library, and you'll mm -hmm. be able to read it right there online. A great book with a lot of really good scriptural information. Yep. Well, friends, you hear the background music. That's for halftime. Don't go anywhere because the best of Bible Answers Live, we're up and running, got our momentum. We're coming back. Just listen to these important messages. We'll study some more scriptures. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Did you know that Noah was present at the birth of Abraham? Okay, maybe he wasn't in the room, but he was alive and probably telling stories about his floating zoo. 
From the creation of the world to the last day events of Revelation, BibleHistory.com is a free resource where you can explore major Bible events and characters. Enhance your knowledge of the Bible and draw closer to God's Word. Go deeper. Visit the amazing Bible timeline at BibleHistory.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. We're back listening, friends, to Bible Answers Live. If you have any Bible questions, give us a call. And this is a live international interactive Bible study. We're not only broadcasting here on AFTV or whatever radio station you're listening to, but it's streaming on Amazing Facts Facebook page, Doug Batchelor Facebook page, YouTube. And uh, if you type in Bible Answers Live, Google will probably show you several ways you can watch or listen. And my name is Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross, and we have a number of folks who are standing by on the phone. So we're going to go to our next caller. We've got... Uh, Nucci, listening from uh, California. Is it Nuki or Nucci? Welcome Hi. to the Yeah, it's Nucci. Hi, Hi Nucci. Um, Pastor Doug and yeah. Pastor Ross. Uh, I, um, I post some things on a lot of uh, religious sites on Facebook, and one of them is I believe that America is the false prophet from Revelation 13, 11, Mm-hmm. And I get all all kinds of responses, but one that always stumps me is, well, the law and the prophets were only for Israel, so the Western world is not even prophesized. And I try to show them that in Daniel eight twenty six, the twenty three year, twenty three hundred year prophecy, and also Ephesians four eleven says that. Um, that Christ gave um, the gifts to the church. But um, I was wondering if you had any other scripture that I could share with them as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I think I've got some scripture and also some, and what my scriptures would be dealing with is that prophecy did not stop with the nation of Israel. Um, the, The prophecies you find in Daniel and Revelation involve any nations that had an impact, a major impact on God's people. The reason the prophecies talk about Assyria and Nineveh, Babylon, Egypt, Ammon, Moab, Edom, um, Persia, Greece, Rome, England, the United, uh, France, the United States, all of these are in prophecy because they had a dramatic impact on the gospel in some way. And America, you know, right now is the country that supports more missionaries than any other country, though I hear South Korea is catching up. (laughs) Interesting. But, um, yeah, it is mentioned. America, I believe, is the second beast you find in Revelation 13 that starts out with two horns like a lamb, a lamb being Christ-like, but ends up speaking like a dragon in the end. 
And uh, so America is definitely in prophecy. Matter of fact, Pastor Ross, I think we've got a magazine that has several scriptures, and we can send one of those to uh, Nucci. Yeah, or anyone wanting to learn more. It's one of our more popular magazines. It's a fairly new one. It's called the U.S. in Bible Prophecy. And yes, Revelation chapter 13 talks about two beast powers, and we believe the second beast described there is America. If you'd like to receive it, the number to call is 800-835-6747. That's 800-835-6747. Ask for the uh, magazine, the United States or the American Prophecy, and we'll send that to you. Or dial pound 250 on your smartphone and say the U.S. in Prophecy, like the magazine, and we'll get it to you. Next caller that we have is Lee, listening in North Carolina. Lee, welcome to the program. Oh, hi. Thank you so much, pastors. I have a question, please, about Revelation 11, um, verse 3, and the two witnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, I studied and and believed that it was the Old Testament and the New Testament. But then when I read on, um, particularly in um, same um, chapter 11, verses 7 through uh, 10, um, and I've seen some other programming about it being possibly Moses and Elijah, and is it possible, pastors, that could it even be both? Could it be Moses and Elijah representing the Old Testament and New Testament? Thank you so very much. Yes, Lee. And my answer would be yes. Now, when I say it can also be Moses and Elijah, symbolically, you've got Moses and Elijah that appear to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's Mark chapter 9. And um, they're in heaven. They have glorified bodies. They are not going to come down to earth and die. They now have eternal life. Um you know, the Bible says that when, when you're resurrected and you go to heaven, you don't die again. Um, but Moses represents the law or the Old Testament. Elijah represents the prophets. These ter- dual terms are often used for the scriptures. You might say New and Old Testament. Uh, it's called the law and the prophets. It's a sword with two edges. Ten commandments are written on two tables of stone. So the word of God is often pictured in this dual nature of Moses and Elijah. Last prophecies in the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 4, it says, Remember the law of Moses. Behold, I send you Elijah. Moses and Elijah, two witnesses. And then when you look at the criteria of the two witnesses in uh, Revelation chapter 11, and it says that they'll prophesy 42 months through sackcloth. It's talking about the word of God during the dark ages. Just its uh, light was obscured by persecution. And it says, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. And um, if anyone wants to hurt them, fire proceeds from their mouths. Well, all I just spoke and fire came down from heaven and devours their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be hurt in this manner. They have power to shut up the heaven that it doesn't rain. This is in both Moses' writings in Deuteronomy 28. And it's also in the experience of Elijah, uh, turning water to blood. And so, you, you, you know, the, the illustrations are given from the life of Moses and Elijah, these two great prophets representing the Word of God. This is in particular, when it says the two witnesses are killed, is talking about an attack on the Word of God when atheism was born prior to the French Revolution. And if you read history, the birth of atheism, they abolished the Bible. And do we have a study guide that talks about that? Uh, we do have one on the two witnesses. I realize I could wax along talking yeah. <laughs> about it. Yeah, well, we, have we have the, that. Yeah, we have the, the glorious book. mount. Sure, we yep. can send that How out. That? So, yeah, it's a deep study. It does talk about Revelation. Incidentally, just to add, talking about another nation, France is specifically highlighted there. Mm-hmm. The beast that comes from the bottom of the spit. 
talking about that power in Revelation 11. You can just call and ask for the book called The Two Witnesses. The number is 800-835-6747. Ask for the book, The Two Witnesses. Also, you can dial pound 250 and say Bible Answers Live and then ask for The Two Witnesses. Thanks, Lee. Great question. We've got Steve listening in Missouri. Steve, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Uh, thank you for taking my call. We're going to be in Acts 15, verse 28 and 29. Okay. You want me to go ahead and read it? Sure. Okay. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That To me, that sounds all conclusive. That you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from mortification, which is to keep yourselves ye shall do well, fare ye well. This would have been, to me, it would have been a perfect time for Paul to inject that you shouldn't eat the unclean meat. And the only answer I've ever been able to come up with is these. this is Paul's way of referencing back to Leviticus, letting them, the believers, or the, the unbelievers, know that you should go by the health laws. Yeah, well, and I, I want to get a little little input from you. Sure, I appreciate that. Now, this what they're doing here is um, Paul is coming down. I believe he's with Barnabas on this trip, or Silas rather, and they're talking to the leaders in Jerusalem, saying we've had some challenges with the Gentiles, and uh, some of the Jewish believers are putting certain laws on the Gentile believers, and it was in particular with, um, you know, keeping the law of Moses, circumcision, and different things, and. Their discussion was, how do we resolve these particular issues? Now, Paul is not giving a comprehensive answer of everything you're supposed to obey, because there's a whole lot of obedience issues that are left out. He doesn't even mention idolatry, but you know, several other places they talk about keep yourself from idols. So this is talking about... Oh, he does mention in verse 29. Oh, the idols and... Yeah, it says that you abstain from things, things offered to offered idols. Offered to idols, yeah. You're yeah. Right. And not so worshiping idols. It was really dealing with, uh, they, the Jews were saying, you know, you can't eat things that had been offered to idols and or things strangled, means with the blood. Now, clearly, eating the blood is part of the health laws. Mm -hmm. So that would include the health laws. And, you know, a lot of the meat sold in the market today is not strangled. It's, or it, it is strangled, you might say. It's killed with the blood. So um, the... If you want to know more about what is and isn't allowed, you can go to the division of Peter in chapter 10, where Peter says, not so I've never eaten anything common or unclean. God has told me not to call any man common, but he never eats any unclean food. And uh, why would God suddenly say that uh, the food that was you know, forbidden uh, in the Old Testament is suddenly clean? Uh, that, that's not what this verse is dealing with. You know, just to add to that a little bit, we, in the Old Testament, we have different categories of law. You yeah. have the ceremonial law that had to do with the sanctuary and the sacrifices and the priesthood. And then you had the health laws that had to do with clean and unclean foods and some other real practical health principles that we find. There were the civil laws that really governed the nation of Israel. And then you have uh, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, yeah, that he references... Uh, he references the health laws, don't eat things strangled and blood. He talks about the Ten Commandment law, you know, sexual immorality. It talks about that's part of the Ten Commandment law. Uh, but then it also uh, includes idols or don't eat things offered to idols. But it doesn't, it doesn't reference this ceremonial law. 
Yeah, well, it doesn't say don't covet. It It doesn't say honor your father and mother. So it's not like those things are suddenly okay. Yeah. So he's basically, this is a statement to address particular challenges they were having up north in preaching with the Gentiles. It wasn't a comprehensive statement. Mm -hmm. So hope that helps a little bit, Steve. And uh, I'm trying to think if we have a... We have a book called... um, God's Free Health Plan. (laughs) We got that too. Written in Stone. Yeah. That Both of them. Also, yeah. Yeah. One talking about the law, the other on, on the biblical health principles. The number to call is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the study guide. It's called God's Free Health Plan. Or you can now also ask for the one called Written in Stone. We'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. Next caller that we have is, uh, let's see, who do we have next? We've got uh, Josiah listening in Tennessee. Josiah, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi. How are you? Great. And your question um, it's why do some angels have four faces? I found it in Ezekiel ten fourteen. Well, good for you. I'm glad. How old are you? Nine. You're nine and you're reading Ezekiel. Bless your heart. Uh, I know people that are 49 have never read Ezekiel and they've been going to church all their life. So I'm glad you're reading that. Uh, you know, you might also be interested to know if you go to the book of Revelation Chapter 4, is that where it is, Pastor Ross? Mm-hmm. Talks about these creatures that have the same four faces. And so the big question is when John and when Ezekiel see these unusual creatures around the throne of God, does that mean they were literal? Or is this talking about um, a, a, creatures that, uh, let's look here in Revelation 4, it says uh, there were four living creatures, and this is in verse 6. Four living creatures full of eyes in the front and back. First was like a lion, second like a calf, third like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. I think those are the same that you're going to find in Ezekiel. And these are telling us different aspects of the character of Jesus. God is not surrounded in heaven with these monstrous-looking creatures that have got four faces, but each of those faces in the visions here is telling us something about the character of Jesus. For example, the lion represents Christ before he came to the earth, represents royalty and kingship. talks about an ox. That's an animal of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Jesus came to bear our sins and die. The man is a reference to Christ as a high priest, our intercessor in the heavenly sanctuary. When it talks about a flying eagle, that's often associated with judgment. When Jesus comes, he comes as king of kings and lord of lords. He comes to judge. So there's some parallels there in yep. what we see. Characteristics Different of, aspects of, of the yeah, Lord Christ's yeah. ministry. Good question. Thank Next caller that we have is Jen listening in Jamaica. Jen, welcome to the program. Hi, good night, Pastor Ross and Pastor Doug. Evening. And your question? Yes, the question I have is based on 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, where it says, To let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also with the law. Could you explain to me what it means by women are not permitted to speak and they're commanded to be under obedience? Okay. Well, I think the one thing we can't deny is Paul says that there is a distinction of roles between men and women. Now, that's almost unheard of in churches today, but the Bible does teach there's a distinction to be made. Uh, is Paul saying that women are never to speak in church? Well, that'd be sort of, that'd be kind of, restrictive, you know, if if you could never speak. The question is, can we find other examples of women speaking in church guided by the Lord? 
when Jesus is dedicated as a baby in the temple, Anna comes over and she speaks. Um, you've got Hannah who is praying and she's speaking when she goes to the house of God and she talks to Eli. So this was not a, a complete prohibition of women opening their mouths and speaking in church. I think it's more in the context of women uh, preaching or taking authority over men, um, and which was what was happening in the Corinthian church. Now, Paul doesn't ever mention this anywhere else. Uh, well, I shouldn't say this particular verse is only mentioned in Corinthians. But um, uh, yeah, there's you've got women that are teaching children in church, and there's a lot you can learn from women. I think that the, the point that's being made is that in the same way that husbands were to be the priest leaders in families, the church being an extension of the family, was to have the same recognition. Now, I know when I go to China, there's a lot of churches where there is no man. And uh, that means they'd all have to kind of use sign language when they come. <laughs> they can't talk. So, of course, they could talk in church. And, you know, but but uh, this is really, Paul was seeing that there was a disruption of the order. Yeah, and I think the, the, the verse just previous to this shed some light. It says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all of the churches of the saints. It appears that in Corinth, there were some problems. You read the whole letter that Paul's writing to the believers in Corinth. The church had a number of issues to deal with, and one of which, which he's addressing, is there was confusion in their worship service. People would be shouting out. There was a lot of noise. Things were not being done decent and in order. Right. And one of the things that Paul is mentioning here, he says, let the woman be silent in church. In other words, don't argue with the husband, perhaps, or with the men. Listen quietly, and there are opportunities to share and talk, but things to be done decently and in order. And that's and the point. Another reason we know that Paul is not saying that a woman can't speak in church is because he has another verse where he says if a woman is to prophesy, she should do it with her head covered. Mm -hmm. If she's praying or prophesying, that obviously is out loud. Right. So... I hope that helped. Now, we do have a book that talks about women in ministry, and it does touch on these verses. We'll send you a free copy. The number to call is 800-835-6747. You can ask again for the uh, book. It's called Woman in Ministry. You can also dial pound 250 on your smartphone, say Bible Answers Live, ask for the book by name, and we will send it to you. Well, and I should mention for Jen that she is in Jamaica. It would be better for her to read it online. Just go to the Amazing Yeah, because we website. won't be able to mail That's it right. to Jamaica. Next caller that we have is Patricia, listening in Pennsylvania. Patricia, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi. Hi. So I have a question. Is I just need an answer, um, a Bible answer for the question. Okay. I have my niece and my nephew, um, 10 and 8 years old. Um, my sister was murdered in front of the kids in a murder-suicide. Mm -hmm. So my niece... Had, I have them in the Adventist school. So my niece came home with the question, with the Bible mem to memorize, mm -hmm. God will never leave you or forsake you. But my nephew started crying and saying, but he did. He allowed my mom to die. How do I go about letting the kids know from the Bible? Because it's hard. It's, this is a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. So my question is, how do I go about letting them know how much God loves them, even after witnessing this tragedy? Well, I, you, you need to have a tough conversation, uh, but you're going to need to let them know that uh, when you look at the cross, you can see that God does love us, but look at the suffering that Jesus experienced at the hands of the devil. Sometimes um, you know, people make choices 
and um, God must let them uh, go forward with their choices, and it breaks his heart. But, you know, as we place our lives in God's hands, we don't, he doesn't want us to live in fear. Quote the verses where Jesus said, don't live in fear, don't be afraid. Yeah, there is evil in the world, there's tragedies, and it's just so heartbreaking when the children see this, and it creates so many questions. You know, as they, what you might do is Amazing Facts has a DVD for the kids. It's called Cosmic Conflict. It explains why is there evil in the world. It talks about the battle between good and evil. And not everything happening in this world is God's will. But you see Jesus on the cross. We know the Lord loves us, that he suffered to save us from suffering. But sometimes the, the devil does things in the world and he brings tragedy. Mm-hmm. Of course, the promise is that God will never leave us mm -hmm. uh, in the world, even those that we, you know, we might look up to or we might trust. They might hurt us. They might abandon us, but God never does. Mm -hmm. he, he's faithful right to the very end. We can hold on to him. Yeah. So you could even show them. It's online. They can watch it for free. It's called Cosmic Conflict. Cosmic Conflict. And that might help them understand. All right. Thank you. Next caller that we have is Dylan listening in Nevada. Dylan, welcome to Bible Answers Live. How you doing, Pastor Ross, Pastor Doug? Doing good, good thanks. Great, thanks for calling. That's awesome. I've been uh, going, I was on a talk show, a Christian show, and I've been going to these meetings. They have ministries like radio station talk shows. I'm just kind of shocked that these ministers and pastors don't really have a lot of knowledge, but I have mentioned about Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. Yeah. Because, you know, I've been talking with the people and then, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I hold my tongue. I speak when the Lord tells me to move and speak on things. And then I was like, well, uh, hey, don't look at me, man. It says in Thessalonians, the dead in Christ, you know, right. will be risen. And then he asked me, well, where do they go? And I know his mother's kind of like the hourglass is going and her mother was there at this lunch. We go every Thursday. And then um, I was like, that's a good question. Because it doesn't say that. And I was just wondering, because I know you guys have a lot of knowledge. So, I mean, is I know in Revelation it says Hades, but from that verse, from 13 in, to 18, it kind of sums it up where we go. I mean, is when we die, we're dead, that we know nothing, correct? Yeah, well, let's read the verse for our friends that are listening. You and I know what we're talking about, but a lot of folks, hear, they just hear Thessalonians. They don't know what it means. So in First Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'll start with verse 13, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, meaning who have died, lest you sorrow as others that have no hope. Christians don't need to grieve as others because we do have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And then he tells what the order is going to be. For we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, some of us will never die, will be alive when Jesus comes, will by no means precede those who are asleep. So when they we get caught up to meet the Lord, they're already with the Lord. How does that happen? Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ rise first. The dead are caught up. They're sleeping in their graves. They're caught up. They meet the Lord in the air. And uh, then we who are alive, verse 17, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord, thus we shall always be with the Lord. So the first resurrection, when Jesus comes, they're raised at the coming. We're caught up to meet him. Uh, you know, when a person believes and they die, 
It says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Their next conscious thought is their resurrection. They have no consciousness of time, but they're asleep. Jesus said Lazarus is asleep. And until that resurrection, uh, Jesus said they'll rise the last day. That's the second coming. At the end of the 1,000 years, Revelation 20, the rest of the dead do not live till the 1,000 years are finished. That's the wicked. So as if the dead in Christ are blessed and holy in the first resurrection, the ones who come in the second resurrection are not blessed and holy. <laughs> they're the unholy. And so they're raised, and they're part of that great white throne judgment. And after that, it says they are cast into the lake of fire and all punished according to what they deserve. So I just gave you a quick overview, and I think that's the passage you're talking about. But uh, we do have a study guide that talks about the millennium. That's right. They're called A Thousand Years of Peace. And it talks about the first resurrection for the righteous, the second resurrection for the wicked. Just call and ask for that. It's 800-835-6747. You can ask for that study guide. It's called A Thousand Years of Peace. We'll be happy to send it to anyone who is in North America. Also, you can dial pound 250 on your smartphone, and you'll be able to do that as well. Um, thanks for your call. Next caller that we have is, um, who do we have next, Pastor Doug? Well, maybe number eight. Number eight. Okay, we've got, uh, how do we say, uh, Sawaya? Is that right, from Oregon, Sawaya? Sawaya, hi, guys. Sawaya, hi. Welcome. Okay. Um, let me find it real quick, sorry. When God created Adam and Eve, were they equal to God before sin? Well, they were made in the image of God, but they certainly were not God. They were equal in the sense that God intended them to live forever, and um, they, they could commune with the Lord. It says the Lord would walk and talk with them, but humans never have been divine. We are creatures where God is the infinite, uh, everlasting, everlasting creator. So is that answering your question? No, I'm sorry. Um, as in, were they equal together? Like, were they equally um, one? Like you mean man, they... man and woman? Yes. Yeah, of equal value, absolutely. Uh, man and woman are both creatures made in the image of God. It says male and female, he made them. Now, of course, the functions of men and women are different, and I think that's sort of self-evident. But as far as, as far as their value and equality before God, absolutely. Um, there are differences between the role of the husband and the wife, as I think most people understand. But, yeah, equal value. Jesus died to save men and women. <laughs> so hopefully that helps a little bit. Uh, friends, I apologize. We are out of time for this. But listen, if you're listening, let me explain something you may not know. We broadcast on satellite and we broadcast on land-based stations. We sign off in two stages. For those listening on satellite, God bless. Talk to you next week. For the rest, stand by. We're going to do rapid-fire mail-in Bible questions. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Bible Answers Live. We're going to take some of your email questions that you've sent in. If you have an email, uh, you have an email question, just send it to balquestions at amazingfacts.org. That's balquestions at amazingfacts.org. All right, Pastor Dyke, first question. I heard you say that capital punishment is okay, but the Bible says you shall not kill. Isn't this a contradiction? Well, when it says, I said that capital punishment is okay, I hope that uh, people aren't basing their 
understanding on anything I said. Uh, the scriptures say <laughs> that um, when it comes to civil law and capital punishment is dealing with governments and how do governments deal with murder and criminals, the scriptures say, according to civil law, Paul in the New Testament says that the, uh, the government does not bear the sword in vain, meaning that they're going to use that sword to execute those that uh, uh, violate uh, you know, a major law. And, um, of course, Moses said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, eye for eye, life for life. And so this is what the scriptures teach on this. Now, when the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, is God saying to break his own commandment? This is often misunderstood. In the, uh, when you read the New Testament, when Jesus quotes the Ten Commandments, it's a little clearer in the Greek. Jesus says, you shall not do any murder. Clearly, God did not think it was wrong when he sent his soldiers to kill enemies. Uh, David did not break God's commandments when he killed Goliath. He was defending their country. So murder is the wrongful taking of innocent life. The commandment says, thou shalt do no murder. So that's different from capital punishment. Okay, next question that we have, it says, if we are saved by faith in Jesus, why does Revelation say that each one will be judged according to their deeds? Good question. If we're saved by faith, why are we rewarded according to our works? Because your works, Jesus said, you'll know them by your, their fruits. Your works demonstrate if you are saved. So once a person has accepted Jesus by faith, there'll be a change in the life. Uh, James says, you can show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. And so Christ said, we'll give an account for every idle word we speak, assuming it's not repentant of and forsaken. So the Lord wants us to turn from our sins and live lives, Paul says, of holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. So he wants us to be converted and live new lives. Hey, thank you, listening friends. If they want to send in a question, what do they do? BLQuestions at AmazingFacts.org. All right. God bless, friends. We'll be back next week. Please support us and keep us on the air. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.